Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinions Boards, episode 325. And I got a very short episode today. Really two big topics that I would say are like topics. We'll talk about uh, wildcard weekend day two, the Saints, um, who played the Ravens, the Titans. We're going to talk about the Browns. Oh my goodness, I can't believe what happened. Uh, we'll end the show with Ask Zach. Uh, got a couple questions, a couple video game questions, actually, in case anybody cares what I have to say about video games. Should be fun there. Um, I want to start, though, with two kind of brief, kind of podcast-exclusive topics I want to share. Uh, number one, the Eagles fired their head coach, Doug Peterson. And I want to just take a deep breath, like, <sighs> okay, let me think on it. Let me stew on it for a night. Uh, I'll cover it tomorrow. We'll talk about the national championship tomorrow. We'll talk about uh, Doug Peterson. I want to digest this a little bit. I want to call some people and make some phone calls tonight. Got a couple calls lined up. And I want to just dive in and do it justice. And I just don't feel ready to talk about it yet. I want to really uh, try to take in everything I possibly can before I talk about Doug Peterson and what happened there in Philadelphia. Number two, uh, let me first of all, let me complain very briefly. I watch a couple of YouTube channels. Uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels uh, it's a couple called Eamon and Beck. They do like they started doing like van builds, like building a van and driving around the world. Now they're building a cabin in the woods in Canada. And I, I look at their YouTube comments and I'm like, man, like people are so nice to them. Oh my gosh! And I get nice comments for sure. Like some of you guys are great. Uh, oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> some of the people, I feel like my comments skew um, like 90% worse than a lot of other YouTube channels. And I don't know. Maybe it's not fair to compare. I don't know. I must watch really wholesome, positive people. I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty positive. I try the best I can. Wow. Uh, people are brutal and angry in my comment sections every single episode. Uh, I want to talk about the Houston Texans very briefly. Uh, I got called dishonest. I got called... Uh, I don't... I don't... I don't... Compar- I, I literally don't try not to worry about it, so I don't remember what I, everything everybody said, but people are very angry about my topic about Sean Watson. And I, look, I actually, I was very patient. I waited a long time. I didn't cover that story for about a week, just waiting and waiting, trying to gather as much information as I possibly could. Uh, a main criticism, and it might be a fair criticism, a main criticism of mine uh, that, people have had, that people have had of me, I guess, is people saying that the Texans were not snubbed by Eric Bieniemy. So I said that the, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy doesn't want anything to do with the Houston Texans uh, head coaching job. Now, people will push back saying, well, no, the Texans decided not to interview him. I've heard both. I've heard that the Texans didn't want to interview him. I've also heard that Eric Bieniemy doesn't want anything to do with the job. Maybe it's both. Maybe the reason why Deshaun Watson's under the impression his team didn't want to interview him is because he didn't want to be interviewed by them. I don't really, I have no idea. I've heard both things. And so I just want to be transparent. I don't know what's true. I've done the best I can here. And I, a lot of people were very mad at me saying I got it wrong or I'm a liar. I'm like, ah, dude, I'm. I've heard both, actually, so I don't, I don't actually know, uh, and I, I've done a lot of research since, and I, I can't figure out what, who ignored who and who doesn't want who. Um, either way, I, I truly believe there's a gigantic mess in Houston right now with Cal McNair, the owner, and Nick Casario, the GM, and Deshaun Watson, their quarterback, and there's people are miscommunicating, people are angry at each other. I've heard Deshaun Watson is very, like, when there's a quote out there, someone said that when the DeAndre Hopkins trade happened, his anger level was at a two. Compared to this now, his anger level's at a 10 now. I mean, he's way more angry than he's ever been to the Houston Texans organization. Very frustrated. Uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that, though. If I got it wrong, I don't mean to make anybody mad. I just, I, I'm doing the very best I can. I will say, uh, so I, I don't actually think it matters to the story. The point about Deshaun Watson is there is a gigantic problem there. They're going to have to trade him or make him happy. Something's going to have to change in Houston, it doesn't really matter whether or not Eric Bieniemy was interviewed or didn't want to be interviewed. Like that's minutia, in my opinion. And so, um, I I apologize if I made anybody mad. I'm doing the best I can. I will say another interesting wrinkle in the story. It makes the Texans look even worse. Is that apparently Cal McNair, the owner, completely ignored the consulting firm he hired to help him in the general manager search. This is a common thing. College teams do it. NFL teams do it. It's a, a consulting firm that helps them with hiring people. And I guess the Houston Texans owner, Cal McNair, was given feedback on who he should hire and given some advice, and he just ignored all of it, wasting hundreds of millions of dollars, sorry, hundreds of millions, hundreds of thousands of dollars, not millions, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, 
of uh, this company's time and money and resources trying to, they were trying to help him. Cal McNor ignored everybody and hired Nick Casario doing his own thing. Uh, I've heard that Nick Casario might actually be a good hire. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I, I just know that the point of that story is there is a big problem in Houston. Uh, and I just, I'm, I personally am excited to see how it unfolds. Um, but I, I don't, I, I'm, whatever. I, I, did, I did the best I could. I, uh, I want to shift gears real quick. I want you to imagine that you're driving your car. And imagine that in order to check your speedometer, check how fast you're going, your speed, you had to log into a program while you're driving your car. And then in order to check your fuel level, you had to log into a completely different program. I use another password. Hey, what's going on here? Oh, and by the way, you may or may not get your information immediately. You're just trying to check. Do I have a quarter tank, a full tank, whatever? And you're having to wait to get information from your car after logging into a service and then waiting for a while, an arbitrary amount of time to get your information back to you. And then you want to check your engine temperature, and that's another password and another program. It sounds stupid to wait an arbitrary amount of time to get information on the vehicle that you're driving and to log in and out of different things to do whatever it takes to operate your car. That sounds ridiculous. You wouldn't drive your car that way, so why would you run your business that way? I am proud to tell you this episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. They help you run your business more effectively by putting everything all in one place. Now, I do want to start with a very honest disclaimer. Uh, Disclaimer, statement, whatever you want to call it. This product is not for everybody. It's not for small businesses or small companies. It's not for startups. This is a product for companies that have $1 million in revenue or more a year. If you're a big company, uh, go to NetSuite. They'll help you. For example, the My Company Strong Opinion Sports... We're very, very small. We're like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what it takes to take advantage of NetSuite. I don't qualify to work with them. I'm too small. And that's okay. I really like them. But I know that there are some CEOs that watch and listen to this podcast. And maybe there are people that run major sports franchises. I know some of you guys have chimed in before. I've talked to you. Um, So this product is for you. CEOs and people running major companies with a lot of money, uh, annual revenue. What NetSuite will help you do is more effectively manage your business by putting everything on one dashboard. Once your company matures, you will outgrow QuickBooks. QuickBooks has limitations. You don't need to pay for multiple systems that may or may not give you the information you need when you need it. You can walk away from outdated programs and spreadsheets, and you can skip the nonsense by upgrading to NetSuite by Oracle. Because you can have everything all in one place. Imagine finances, e-commerce, inventory, supply chain, HR. And you don't need to wait any amount of time to get information. It comes to you instantaneously. Uh, NetSuite wants me to tell you that you can join one of 24,000 other companies that use their service. But if you know what NetSuite is, then I don't need to tell you that NetSuite is the best in the business at helping you run your company. Upgrade to NetSuite. They will help you by putting everything all in one place. In case you're still not sure, NetSuite can and will prove it to you. Go to netsuite.com slash opinion, and you can get a free product tour. Let NetSuite show you how they will benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash opinion. Schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash opinion. Nailed it! Ah, I love that ad. I I wrote it. I did that whole ad read myself, wrote it, uh, and NetSuite likes it. I know, I hope listeners aren't tired of hearing it, uh, but I, I'm proud. I do the best I can. I really try to represent companies in the best way I possibly can. Uh, let's talk about the NFL playoffs. I want to run through wildcard weekend day two. That is the Browns Steelers, the Ravens Titans, the Bears Saints. I want to start with the surprise of the weekend. The Cleveland Browns at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh my goodness. So I got to say, first of all, I was almost dreading watching this game uh, because I really like Cleveland. I also really like uh, the Browns quarterback, Baker Mayfield. I'm like the only person, I guess, who I like Baker Mayfield. I like the commercials. I like what he does. I like him as a person. I root for him. I, I Shamelessly, I would like to see Baker and Cleveland succeed. They've been a terrible franchise for years. And <laughs> watching them win a playoff game yesterday. Oh, man. It was so much fun. So crazy. So First of all, the Browns were playing this game without their head coach, Kevin Stefanski. He tested positive for COVID. Uh, he could not coach remotely. He was literally in his basement with his phone off. He cannot have any interaction with the team if he's not on the premises. 
And by the way, the Browns haven't practiced in like two weeks because of COVID. Now, that might actually have helped Cleveland because they got to rest and stay more healthy. And by this time of the year in the NFL playoffs, a lot of the stuff going on is really just all mental and making sure you're checked in, got the game plan down. So I, I think maybe not practicing might have even actually helped Cleveland. But um, going into the game, I, I had no hope of Cleveland winning. I gave them no shot. I thought they were screwed. I was just like, hey, they made the playoffs. I'm happy. That's good enough for me. So when I watched the game, I was shocked. I, I could not believe what I was seeing. I wish my dad had been with me. My dad, uh, he came over for the game the night before Washington and the Buccaneers. I could not have predicted what happened. I could have not predicted that the Browns would be up 35 to 10 at halftime. The Browns won 48 to 37. And oh, man, it was crazy. Uh, it's the Browns' first playoff win since 1995. It's the Browns' first road playoff win. Uh, being the away team since 1969. Years and years and years. And I here's why it's so cool. Just imagine this. It's been years in the making. Think about your lifetime uh, being aware of the Cleveland Browns organization. You're probably not a fan. You may or may not be. I've just always been aware of the Cleveland Browns and felt really kind of tragically bad for them. They're like the little engine that could that never quite could. Uh, they had Tim Couch as quarterback. They had Brandon Whedon, Brady Quinn, Johnny Menzel, that's just to name a few of the times that the Browns have tried to get a franchise quarterback and become a winning franchise. And Baker Mayfield was the quarterback that made it happen. He won a playoff game, got the Browns to the playoffs in the first place. Not by himself. They got a good team around him. But Baker in this game was 21 for 34 passing, had 263 yards, three touchdowns. One was a screen pass, but I'll give him a pass. Counts as a touchdown pass. Uh, Baker had no turnover, so that's the key to me. He played a very clean game, played smart football, made good decisions, got rid of the ball very quickly, was aware of the pass rush, and uh, I'm happy for Baker. I'm so happy for Cleveland, and oh, man, I just, it was a surprise because I could have never thought that would happen. I, I'm like, no way. The Browns are not going to win this game, and they did. And not only did they win the game, <laughs> they were up 28 nothing in the first quarter. It's crazy to me. Now, it does have to be acknowledged that Pittsburgh handed them a lot of points. First of all, the very first play of the game, uh, Marquise Pouncey, the nine-time Pro Bowl center for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's a Pro Bowler this year, snapped the ball up over big Ben Roethlisberger's head, and uh, the Browns recovered the bad snap for a touchdown. Bam. First play, 7 nothing. You're like, oh, what a crazy way to start the game. And then... <laughs> It got worse and worse and worse. And Big Ben had two interceptions and a three and out. And the Steelers had three turnovers just in the first quarter. Uh, by the end of the game, the Steelers had five total turnovers. Uh, Big Ben had, yeah, he had 501 yards passing. He had four touchdown passes. Oh, yeah, by the way, Big Ben also had four interceptions. Ooh, that's not good. That's very, very bad. And uh, I just... The Steelers played terrible. They didn't show up. Uh, they looked disorganized. They uh, did not look on the same page. There was a, a play where Eric Ebron uh, probably should have stopped in the window. Big Ben thought he was going to stop. Eric Ebron kept going. It's a guy open who ran the wrong route and miscommunicated with the quarterback. It was not good. It wasn't pretty. And it's just it's insane to me how far the Steelers have fallen from where they once were. At one point during this season, I made a video. I talked about how I believed that the Pittsburgh Steelers were a playoff team. They were running the ball very well, playing good defense. They had receivers making plays left and right. Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, they got, had good running backs. Like Everything was running up very, very smoothly for Pittsburgh early on this year. And in the second half of the year, they fell apart. Uh, they couldn't run the ball effectively. They Their playmaking receivers suddenly stopped making plays. Dropped passes like crazy. Eric Ebron. Uh, Deontay Johnson was a massive culprit. It just it got worse and worse and worse. And Chase Claypool emerged as a really good player. But it's like, man, it, it was so disappointing to watch this really capable football team fall apart. And I, I just, not to mention they had injuries on defense. It made things even worse. They're, they're probably the strength of their team, their defense, really got gimped and fell apart as injuries piled up. And uh, the Brown, uh, sorry, the, the Steelers completely fell apart. The Steelers just... Um, at one point, were a team I was very impressed with. playing. They were playing great football. I mean, you can say, well, there were always signs they weren't going to be very good. They were always overrated. Say what you want. They were playing fantastic football early on in the year, and uh, it just fell apart, man. It's it's a, 
it's a collapse, uh, a complete collapse of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, I want to really quickly touch on Juju Smith-Schuster. Juju had a quote earlier this week. Um, and I don't know the intention. If you watch the video of Juju talking about it, uh, it sounds like Juju's trying to stir the pot. But Juju had a quote. He said, basically, the Browns is the Browns. And they're the same team we play every year. And they're, uh, they're just a bunch of dudes. He, just kind of not giving the Browns any credit, saying they're no different from any, every other year I play the Cleveland Browns. And uh, when you look at that bad quote, which became a really big deal and became a very much a motivating factor for the Cleveland Browns this week. And I think you should never give your opponent any reason to have a chip on their shoulder. That's just not smart. And then you look at, okay, well, Juju also had moments where he had TikTok dances on the logos of opposing teams, uh, namely the Cincinnati Bengals who got very, very mad. And as a result, that's part of what motivated the Bengals to beat the Steelers earlier this year. So Juju is becoming a distraction. Juju is uh, helping motivate other teams to beat Pittsburgh at this point. And I, somebody, I don't know that it needs to be public or he should be fired or cut, but somebody's got to talk to Juju and say, hey, are you a football player or an entertainer? If you're an entertainer, we don't want you here anymore because we're trying to win football games and you're becoming a distraction big enough that it's costing our team's victories. And at least at the minimum, making it harder for us to win games. And so um, I, some private conversation needs to happen between Mike Tomlin, the head coach, and Juju Smith-Schuster and say, look, what are you here for? Are you here for TikTok followers or are you here to make money and play football? Because uh, if you want to have TikTok followers and be an entertainer, this may not be the right place for you to play football anymore. Uh, now let's talk about the Bears and the Saints. Um, I'm trying to rack my brain. Uh, this, this game was a not a very good game, the Bears and the Saints. Uh, for most of the game, it was 7-3 to until like midway through the third quarter. Now the Saints did win 21-9. to uh, The Bears literally had a touchdown on the final play. Uh, Jimmy Graham actually had a pretty sweet one-handed catch against his former team the uh, New Orleans Saints. Uh, New Orleans pulled away late, though. They won the game, again, 21-9. I thought Mitchell Trubisky played fairly well. Uh, he had some mistakes. He had some moments where I thought Trubisky had people open vertically downfield, and he didn't pull the trigger. He just checked it down and made a safe completion. And I that's a major frustration I've had of Mitchell Trubisky for years now. Uh, but I also want to say, like, Trubisky had a lot of stuff going against him. Uh, his receiver receiving core was just not where it should have been. Hit Allen Robinson, that's great, but Anthony Miller got ejected. Uh, Darnell Mooney was out. Uh, and the Bears had three starters actually out with injuries. They had Darnell Mooney, a receiver. They had linebacker Roquan Smith didn't play. Uh, corner Jalen Johnson didn't play. And I, this one mistake happened. So I, th- I thought Trubisky played a fairly okay game. Again, didn't push the ball vertically when I wanted him to at times. Uh, but there were also no glaring interceptions or bad mistakes that were horrible. Uh, and there was a really, really, really bad play where Javon Mims dropped a touchdown in the end zone, like a perfect throw. He's wide open. And Trubisky had it. It was a beautiful deep ball from Trubisky. I went, wow, that's a great throw. And Javon Mims dropped it. And I just, um, Mims, like, oh, man, you got to catch that ball. Felt bad for Trubisky. Um, I, I don't know that Trubisky should be the guy long term in Chicago. I, I, I personally wouldn't bring him back. Um, I thought this was a game where he needed to really, really show out, and he really did not. Trubisky doesn't push the ball vertically well enough, in my opinion. Uh, but I also want to say, like, in fairness, like, his receiving core was decimated in this game. But also, like, how many times can you make excuses for Mitchell Trubisky? At some point, it's got to become his problem and his fault. And I'm watching Aaron Rodgers win with, I mean, you would think Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson, like, you have one receiver and then a bunch of nobodies. Uh, Aaron Rodgers does pretty fine with that idea, so... Uh, you have one star receiver, Allen Robinson, and maybe a bunch of nobodies. Trubisky's not getting a cut. And to compare Trubisky to Aaron Rodgers is crazy, I know. Uh, but my point is, I every time I watch Mitchell Trubisky, I'm just, it, 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 there's something lacking. I'm looking for more and hoping for more, and it's not happening. Now, the Saints were solid. Uh, Drew Brees played pretty well. Uh, I thought had a really slow start. Uh, I was, I mean, there was a point where you're like, are the Saints going to lose this game? What's going on? Why is it still 7-3? to three? Uh, really, again, just not a very exciting game in my opinion. I thought the best part of this game really was uh, that the game was also broadcast on Nickelodeon. If you, if anybody has a chance, go look at videos. There's videos on YouTube of the game from Nickelodeon. It's amazing. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you had SpongeBob between the uprights uh, for field goals. You had uh, wacky graphics all over the place. It was a fun tone. Uh, you had slime after touchdowns where they slimed like, it, you know, 
I, I guess, digitally, like, at, you know, in After Effects. And uh, I just, I don't know if we'll ever get this again, but I saw Nickelodeon was just this special, weird presentation of the NFL. Quirky, fun. Uh, my girlfriend loved it. So I, I would actually love to see that happen more. I think it would bring more people in to watch football because they'd be there for the gimmicks and the fun stuff, not necessarily. They're like, I'm, they're lukewarm on football, but they'll watch for the other fun entertainment. And it's fun watching these grown men uh, get slimed, you know, like with, like, you know, VFX, basically. It's like, it's so weird and silly and fun. And I had a great time at that. Now, next week, the Buccaneers play the Saints in the uh, the NFL playoffs. And I believe that the Buccaneers are going to beat the Saints. Uh, I, I'll do a predictions topic later this week, but I just want to put that out there now. The upset of the week, in my opinion, if, if it's even an upset, is Tampa Bay and Tom Brady beating the Saints next week, beating Drew Brees at home in New Orleans. You're playing the Saints and the Buccaneers are playing for the third time this year. And there are times where a team has beat the same team three times in one year. It's not impossible, but it is a very hard thing to do. And I, I just think, man, like, the Buccaneers have a lot of momentum. They're playing very well. The Saints are not. They're playing okay. They barely beat the Bears, who failed their way into the playoffs. So uh, keep your eye on that. I think the Buccaneers are going to beat the Saints next week in the NFL playoffs. Let's talk about the final game from day two of Wild Card Weekend. The Ravens at the Titans. So Baltimore won 20-13. It's Lamar Jackson's first ever playoff win. Now, I always thought that the kind of narrative about, well, Lamar Jackson can't win in the playoffs. I'm like, God, still, he, he lost two games in two years. Like, whatever. I, I, I thought it was always massively overblown. Uh, but it was a hard, tough-fought game. Really interesting, really exciting. Uh, the Ravens against the Titans is, it's really become a real rivalry, in my opinion. And uh, these two teams do not like each other at all. Now, I'm going to take a short break. I want to I look something up real quick, so I'm going to make a cut here. I want to try to figure out why the Ravens didn't shake the Titans' hands after the game. My prediction is that it's because of COVID. If I, if I had to pick one reason why Lamar Jackson... So Lamar Jackson won the game, just ran off the field. I, I don't remember what Lamar said about uh, what happened. I'm going to look it up in one second. But my prediction is Lamar was like, hey, the Titans have had COVID. We're like, hey, none of us. We're trying to win a Super Bowl. None of us can get sick. Don't shake their hands. We're avoiding them. We don't want to get COVID. Let me look it up and find out what happened. I'm going to make a cut, and I'll tell you what I find. Ah, wow. Okay, so I looked it up. Uh, here's a quote from Lamar Jackson. I feel like it was just disrespect to see what went on before the game the last time we played those guys, and they were standing on our logo, and seeing them get into it with our head coach, that was just disrespectful because we treat all of our opponents with respect. It wasn't no reason for us to shake hands and stuff like that. We'll be the bigger guy, so we just walked off the field. I feel like we were being the bigger guys. Wow! I, I thought it would have been COVID. I really did. I was like, hmm, okay. No, it's not. Uh, this is a real rivalry between two teams that really do not like each other. And uh, it wasn't about not trying to get sick or not test positive next week. It's really just these two teams did not want to shake hands. The Ravens didn't want to stir the pot and get in trouble for next week. Wow. Really cool stuff. I didn't know that. I, I, I saw Lamar just run away. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Now we know why. And that's uh, actually even more juicy and more fun than I would have thought. Now, Lamar had a bad interception. He left the ball way too far inside on a throw down the right sideline. Other than that, though, I thought that Lamar could have been a little more sharp in the red zone. He had a couple throws where he was late. Um, but Lamar played a really good game. And kind of the, the highlight play in my mind when I think about Lamar Jackson, how he played uh, on Sunday, he had this wild 48-yard touchdown run where he escaped his sack, ran up the middle, just was gone. Like, it just a just a flash was gone up the middle and down up the middle through the defense and in the end zone. I'm like, man, that's a crazy play. And uh, that that was kind of the turning point in my opinion where like, oh, Lamar's here. And like I said, Lamar was not going to lose this game. He would not allow his team to lose this game. Now, Tennessee, uh, I warned you guys a while back about the Tennessee Titans where I said the Titans had a good year. They were a good team. It's been fun. But they were never, ever going to win a Super Bowl. It wasn't in the cards for them this year. Uh, they were very reliant on the running game. They needed Derrick Henry to have a good game. And if he didn't, they didn't win. And the Titans also had a lot of problems on defense this year. And in this game, Derrick Henry had 40 yards on 18 carries. Derrick Henry was not an impact on the game. And in fact, the Ravens really did a good job shutting down Derrick Henry. And I I'm telling you, it it's, I hate to say this. I'm sorry, but it's true. If Derrick Henry isn't lights out, the Tennessee Titans are not going to win a game. And it's, 
I know Titans fans are angry. They hate hearing that. I like Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill does a good job. I don't know that's all on him. Uh, next year, what I want to see from the Titans is an evolution of their running game. They're just too reliant on play action and running the football. Uh, I just think they need to evolve schematically and become uh, less dependent on having a great running game and more hopefully able to throw the ball on second and third and long when they need to. And uh, the Titans had opportunities to win this game. Uh, the Titans got stopped on the goal line, uh, on the five-yard line, third and goal from the five. Ravens got the stop. Tennessee had to settle for a field goal. And then at the end of the game, the Titans had the ball. Four minutes left, a chance to tie the game. Uh, they were actually driving. Then on a second and five, a receiver fell down. Ryan Tannehill got intercepted, and the ball game was over. So I I like Tennessee a lot. I like Ryan Tannehill. I like their story. Uh, again, I want to see them improve on defense, get a pass rusher, somebody in the draft, something like that. And then schematically, whether it's bringing in a coach from college who uh, can be like their passing game coordinator, the same way that Joe Brady was for LSU a couple years ago, uh, they need to do something to revamp and uh, rethink their passing game schematically so that they're not just only getting chunks of yardage throwing the football when they use play action. Because that's basically the only effective way that Tennessee throws the football. I know there's that's that's a that's a too strong of a statement. There are other ways they they throw the ball. It's like like their only way. But man, I mean Ryan Tannehill is fine. I, I think he just needs a better system around him uh, to take advantage of their ability to throw the ball. They got good receivers, and I, I I their problem again is the design of their offense, not necessarily the people and the players involved. So uh, that's my recap of Wild Card Weekend Day Two. I'm gonna take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach. And uh, it'll be really, really fun. My name is Zach Schaumler. Going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. It is time for my favorite part of the show, Ask Zach. Uh, it's where I read questions from the audience on Patreon. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Uh, you give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Although I'm okay. I got sponsors and YouTube revenue and uh, Patreon revenue. Like, I'm doing okay. I really, from, in my mind, and I'm, I'm a terrible salesman. I probably shouldn't say this, but I, the dollar a month gives people access to, it's like a filter, really. It lets me talk to other people, and it's, it's I, I, the revenue is great. It's reliable. It's my most stable revenue, uh, and I appreciate it. But I really, what I like is that a dollar a month is $12 a year, and it gives people the opportunity to submit questions on the podcast. That is really why I like it. Because uh, I get so many questions, and it really just filters out the everybody else and centers on the people that are most passionate about the show. Uh, I try to be transparent and honest. Uh, I If you submit a question on uh, Patreon, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple, I read them on the podcast. And uh, I want to start with one. I was literally just during the break looking at Patreon, kind of tending to the flock and looking at everything and answering questions. And uh, I got a question uh, right in from, let me find it. Why, why, of course, it's gone now. Ah, from John. John wrote in, hi, Zach. One of the things you consistently mention is how much you love great storylines in the NFL. I wonder if this one is on your radar. The playoffs are becoming a story about yesterday's greats versus today's or tomorrow's greats. In the wild card round, we saw Josh Allen beat Phillip Rivers. Jared Goff beat Russell Wilson. Taylor Heineke put up a good show against Brady. Tannehill fall to Lamar Jackson. Drew Brees destroy Trubisky. And Baker Mayfield stomp Big Ben. Or Baker's defense, anyway. <laughs> I think Jared Goff and Russell Wilson are the only two even close to the same number of years in the league. In the division round, we'll have a more even split. Goff versus Rodgers is divided. But Jackson versus Allen and Baker versus Mahomes are sets of younger quarterbacks. And we'll probably see Breeze versus Brady for the last time. By the time we get to the conference championships, it's going to be two of all, uh, two of Mahomes, Allen, Jackson, and Mayfield, all younger quarterbacks, and two of Rodgers, Breeze, Brady, and Goff, all older quarterbacks except Jared Goff. The Super Bowl is certainly going to have a younger quarterback from the AFC. And we'll probably have an older quarterback from the NFC unless the Rams play very well. I'm not sure if this angle has hooked me the most. Uh, I'm not sure why this is the angle that has hooked me the most, but I'm excited to see it play out. Thanks for the continued great show and insight, John. So I, I didn't proofread that. I tried to do it the best I could. Uh, it's, he, he was good. I, just, I usually try to read them at least once before I read them on the show. It's hard to read stuff out loud on the cuff. Um, very interesting, right? We're going to have either 
Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. I'm going to repeat what he said. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield against an older quarterback. And Rodgers, Breeze, Brady, probably not Jared Goff. It'll be fun. That That is a compelling storyline, which is to say that can this old guy, the old guard quarterback, get a final title before he's gone? Or can a younger guy, Patrick Mahomes, get another title? Or can another guy like Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, or Baker Mayfield get their first title? Either way, it's about young versus old. I like that, John. You're very insightful. Thank you for writing in. I very much appreciate it. Let me go to my Google Docs because I was literally reading that from Patreon. My Google Docs has what I really, my, my, my couple of questions for today's episode I wanted to read. Caleb writes in first. He says, what are your thoughts on Jill Brady as a head coaching prospect? As a Panthers fan, admittedly, I'm a little salty that he might be hitting the door after just a year and leaving us behind with a painfully average quarterback under contract that I'm sure he asked to be brought in. Besides that, I guess I don't really see why someone would want to hire him as a head coach yet. He's had only one year of experience as a coordinator, and I have to say the Panthers' offense left a lot to be desired this year. Again, people can blame Teddy Bridgewater all they want, and I do most of the time, but that's the guy Joe wanted to work with, and they brought in when there were tons of other options. So what do I think? Uh, Joe Brady is the Panthers' offensive coordinator. Uh, in my opinion, he's a couple of years away. I would be surprised if he became a head coach this year, and I don't think he should become a head coach yet. Uh, he's been a, he's coached in, he's been a guy on the, like coaching for the saints. Then he coached, he was a passing game coordinator for, uh, the LSU. This last year was his first ever year being a coordinator at any level, at least unless he coached high school, you know, earlier on, uh, but college or pro, this is his first time being an offensive coordinator. I personally would rather see him coach for another year or two, uh, keep doing well, keep learning. He's got a great mentor and the head coach, Matt rule. And by the way, I think you should win as a coordinator before you become a head coach. Like, if you're a losing offensive coordinator, how could you possibly become a head coach? Like, I don't, I don't like that journey. I'd rather you see it, learn how to win with the team than take what you learned when you became a winning coach to become a head coach on your own. Uh, that's what I would like to do. I like even when coaches like Brian Dable is going to probably go from the Bills to be a head coach. And I want to see Brian Dable win a Super Bowl with the Bills and then feel comfortable. Like, once I've gone to a Super Bowl... I've learned how to build a program. Let's go to another team and try to take what I learned here and bring my philosophies to a new team. That's what I would like to see. Um, now, Joe Brady did do a great job. I know it's hard to understand because uh, you look at the numbers they lost. But remember, Christian McCaffrey was hurt for most of the year. And what I really liked about Joe Brady is he gets the most out of his players. The way he used Mike Davis, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson came over from the Jets. And Robbie Anderson has never been utilized as effectively as Joe Brady did in his offense. So I thought that Joe Brady did a great job. And then I know you're mad that Teddy's the guy he chose and he's with. But remember this, Teddy Bridgewater has never been intended to be the long-term answer at quarterback for Carolina. He signed a three-year, $60 million contract. It's a lot of money, but that's not really franchise quarterback money. That's a guy who is, he's like a duct tape quarterback. He's good for now. He's a, a duct tape solution. But someday, if you use duct tape to fix your pipes, you're going to have to replace that duct tape with a real, actual, long-term solution. And uh, the reason why Teddy Bridgewater was brought into Carolina is because the Panthers, particularly Joe Brady, they needed somebody for right now. They needed an answer in 2020 to be their quarterback immediately. And Joe Brady knows Teddy Bridgewater from their days together in New Orleans. They had a previous relationship. They work well together. They like each other. Teddy Bridgewater was perfect for what Carolina needed. They needed a quarterback for 2020 to be the guy right now to tie them over until they could get another long-term solution. Even if Carolina drafts the quarterback this year, you may or may not necessarily want your starting your rookie quarterback to be your starting quarterback week one next year. Uh, Justin Fields, a Trey Lance, a Kyle Trask, or whoever, uh, Mac Jones, insert any other name, right? I think they're best off. Teddy Bridgewater is their week one starter next year, but they draft a quarterback. That guy can sit and wait. Until he's ready. Uh, so, But Joe Brady brought in Teddy Bridgewater not to be their franchise quarterback, but to be the guy for right now. And that, that does matter. That's some nuance there. I think Joe Brady is a guy that someday could be a great head coach, I would think. Uh, he's definitely a very good offensive coordinator. But I want to see him have more time to mature and develop and grow as a leader and grow as a leader of men and learn from Matt Rule. And again, I want to see Joe Brady win in Carolina before I see him become a head coach in the NFL for another team. It seems weird to go from you know, a bad year at Carolina to now you're an offensive coordinator, or sorry, now you're a head coach at another team. 
it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, personally. Now, Trevor writes in. He says, hey, Zach, once COVID is over with, once COVID is over with, would you ever consider doing SOS meetups where fans could meet you in person and do hangouts and discuss topics? Absolutely, I would love that. Uh, I would love to go. Dude, if I could, I, I would go on a tour of America, just like go to Florida. I want to go to Disney World. I meet whoever I can in Florida. I love Cincinnati. I want to go to Cincinnati and meet people there and do a hangout. I have a, you know, probably, uh, you know, get space in a bar and say, hey, anyone wants to come, come hang out. Let's just drink and talk about sports. I would love that. Uh, or I, I don't care what it looks like. I did one in Salt Lake City where I had breakfast with as many people as would come. And like 14 people showed up. We had breakfast and took pictures and had a good time. So I personally, and maybe it was fewer. I, I don't remember. It was like, it was like six to 14. Some people showed up and they just took pictures and they left. They just wanted to meet me. They couldn't afford dinner. Uh, I actually bought breakfast for everybody there. It was breakfast in the morning in Salt Lake City. Uh, I bought breakfast for everybody there. It was just a good time, and I I would love to do more of that uh, wherever I can. So I look if I if I can do a meetup with more people, yeah. I, look, I'm an introvert. I but a scheduled time meeting people, especially meeting people who like me and like my show and are fans of what I do, like that sounds amazing. And so um, probably whenever COVID's done, really what I'd like to do is just go to NFL games, go to I want to go to a Packers game at Lambeau Field. Anybody in Lambeau Field? Anybody in, in Wisconsin? I'd love to meet you. Uh, I want to go to Chicago. I want to go to Tennessee. Like, I want to go around the country, go to football games, meet people. Kind of my dream and my uh, my hope someday uh, when COVID is over. So, yeah, Trevor, I, I would love to do that. Uh, Kenny writes in and says, Hey, Zach, I know you recently mentioned on air that you plan to marry your girlfriend. Congratulations to dedicating yourself to such a huge commitment. My question is, when did you realize that you indeed want to spend the rest of your life with her? Was it one specific moment or was it something that came uh, as a slow realization? Thanks, Kenny from Cal. Uh, P.S. Sorry if this one is too personal. You told us to send it, so I did. Not too personal. I have no problem answering that. Um, Kenny. So my girlfriend's name is Liz, uh, Elizabeth. I love her very much. Uh, There's no one moment I can point to. And there's a lot of pressure to answer this the right way. I hope I do it justice. Uh, I love her very much. I don't think that love is enough, personally. Uh, I think it takes a lot more. Uh, we're, we're great partners, and we're partners in every sense of that word. And no, there's not one moment where I'm like, that's the moment I knew. It's like, no, it's, it's a collection of moments. We've lived together almost a year now. Uh, 2020 was a very trying year with a lot of stuff going on. And when you live life together and go through stuff together— it brings you together. And I've seen a lot of firsthand examples of how uh, my girlfriend Liz handles hard moments. And I, I find it very attractive that she handles moments like that very, very well. And we are really good at going through this kind of stuff together. And when she has a hard time, I'm there for her. When I have a hard time, she's there for me. And we just collaborate and we coexist very well. We complement each other. We're a great partnership. Uh, and I, I really love how she responds to adversity. So I, I, I feel great about her. I, I really uh, I love her very much, and I uh, I feel totally comfortable uh, being with her for the rest of my life. And I, that's what I've been looking for for a long time. Uh, I definitely was looking for somebody to be a partner with for a long time. I, I have dreams and hopes of building like an empire where I have multiple podcasts, and I have a great house, and I've got a dog, and I I want someone to build that with. And I think Liz is the perfect person to build that with. And I again I I love her deeply, and she's beautiful, and she's so smart, and um, I know I'm doing something right because I want to have conversations with her. Like I look forward to talking with her and picking her brain and seeing what she has to say about stuff. And she's very insightful. And uh, I think in many ways, I, I think I make her a be- better person. I, th- I know that she definitely makes me a better person as well. Uh, we make each other better, uh, but she challenges me. And she um, often can see problems with what I'm doing that I might not even see. Like it's there, there's so many, the word partner is cheesy. Like I know you're like, oh, my partner, like I don't, but that's what she is. I mean, she really has made my life better and uh, we collaborate so well in life. And I, uh, I, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm not going to say the right thing here. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I try to just say what I believe. Um, and man, I, I know that she's amazing. And I, I kind of can't see myself with anybody else. There's that song by Justin Bieber. I know anyone like I, I can't see myself uh, going through the next couple of years and next whatever, you know, however many years of my life, like 60, 80 years of my life uh, with anybody else right now. I, I just, I, I have a vision and a plan for my life and it includes Liz and I'm really excited for that. So 
um, yeah, I feel totally comfortable, and uh, I'm really excited to marry her. And pro- I haven't even proposed her yet, so like we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. But um, that's how my brain works, uh, and I, I just encourage anyone like find someone who you love talking to and you love spending time with, and who is uh, here's a key for me, uh, Liz. A lot of people. I'm a I'm an extreme introvert. I really like alone time. I really need time alone, and I don't really want to party. I don't really want to go out and. Not only does Liz understand that she's also an introvert, I'm probably more introverted than her, uh, but she understands who I am. She gets me. She's got patience for my quirks and weirdness and feel very understood and listened to by her. But also, again, uh, being around most people is exhausting for me. It doesn't mean I don't like it. It doesn't mean it's not a good time. Like I'm, I'm, I think I'm very good, actually, in social situations. Um, but 99% of people I meet make me tired. Liz doesn't make me tired. Uh, Liz is a it's a peaceful, restful interaction when I hang out with her and spend time with her. And uh, when I'm not working and I'm spending time with her, I look forward to it. So find someone who makes you better, who challenges you, but who also is peaceful and restful to be with and uh, who compliments you in, in as many ways as you possibly can and who's got shared goals and shared visions. And we want the same things in life. And so uh, I, I, I am so excited to spend the rest of my life with Liz and uh, picking a ring next, and uh, I'm going to Salt Lake City at some point, and that's where I, I've told her I plan to propose to her there in Salt Lake City. Uh, not, I'm not Mormon. I just that's a trip I'm looking forward to, and uh, it's a trip where I, I think it, I think I, I want to do on a trip of some kind, and uh, I'm not going to say anymore. I don't want to ruin my plans. I know she watches and listens to everything. So, uh, Kenny, I hope I answered your question well enough. I uh, I know I rambled a little bit, but that's okay in my opinion. Landon writes in. I'm going to drink some water real quick first. I got a couple of cuts I made in this episode. I, I, Lamar Jackson. Uh, I messed up part of the ad read. I Oh, man. Well, there's one other one. I messed up reading John's question earlier. I hope I edit them out. I hope I don't leave in my mis- mistakes in the podcast. That would suck. Uh, Landon writes in and says, Hi, Zach. Or he doesn't even say hi. He says, Zach, I highly recommend the Batman Arkham games. They're just like the Spider-Man games, except Batman, obviously. Thoughts? Uh, so I haven't played the new Spider-Man game. I own it. I own Miles Morales. I own the Spider-Man PS4 game. I own so many games that I never... I just... I, I keep meaning to play games, and I keep not playing games because I'm really busy. There's a lot of football and a lot of life going on. Uh, but the Arkham games I have played, they're amazing. They are amazing games. I've only played Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. I haven't played Arkham Knight yet. I own that as well. Haven't touched it. There's also one more Arkham... Uh, Arkham Origins. I own that also. Also haven't played that one because I suck and I, I own way more games than I can ever play. Uh, I mean to and I, I love video games. It's like my passion. It's like my hobby that I love. Uh, but I spend most of my life working. And so someday I'll retire and play a bazillion video games. So that's like 60 years away from me now. Um, so Arkham is amazing. And Arkham Asylum especially, they remind me of Metroid games. Like Metroid Prime or a like a 3D Metroidvania game where... Uh, the gadgets are cool, and the stealth is fun, and the gameplay is amazing. But really what I like is, especially in Arkham Asylum, the first one, exploring the world and how you can get power-ups that allow you to go to other parts of the the map that are previously unacce- inaccessible. I really love that kind of stuff. I also like Darksiders a lot. It's probably, they're similar. I think Batman's cooler and more fun, but um, I love games like that where, Metroidvania games, I guess, where you get new gadgets and new upgrades, and it allows you to open up different parts of the map you couldn't previously get to. And I, oh my gosh, I, I highly recommend it. Batman Arkham Asylum is a work of art. It's amazing. And I think somehow actually, it got hyped a lot at one point, but I think I think Arkham Asylum actually is still, in a weird way, underrated. It's an amazing game that should be looked at the same way Metroid Prime is and a lot of other games like that. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal game. Uh, Thomas writes in and says, Hey, Zach, I know you're a big Halo fan. So what Halo campaign is your favorite to play? Um, so Halo. I wouldn't consider myself a huge Halo fan. And not to say that I don't love Halo. Uh, I just have only played Halo 1 and Halo 2. I've never played the other games. I've never played Halo Reach. Um, I own them. Again, I own, I own a lot of games. I've never played them. Um, part of why I've never played Halo, though, because they're short campaigns that are manageable to get through. Uh, like, I, I don't, I, I own The Witcher. I played it for like 10, 10 hours and I'll never probably finish because The Witcher is so big and daunting. 
Um, same with Skyrim. Same with like I, I never played. I owned Fallout, never touched it. Halo is a, a very manageable campaign to play through, though. Um, in the middle of my playthrough of Halo Two, uh, I used to play Halo with my brother side by side through the campaigns during doing co op, and uh, my brother died halfway through, uh, partway through Halo Two, and so I didn't touch Halo for two years, and then about uh, two, three, three years later, I guess. Uh, a buddy of mine, Brandon, visited from Austin, Texas, and he's a really good friend of mine. He's an author, and I, I really I love him. And um, we played through the rest of Halo 2. It's very honoring, and it felt like a tribute to my brother to finish Halo 2 uh, without him but with an, a, a worthy substitute. And uh, I haven't played the rest of Halo. I keep meaning to. Again, I, I'd like to someday. Part of it is that Halo is forever tied to my my, my dead younger brother, which is uh, it's brutal, but it's honest. Like it's It brings up this uncomfortable memories um but also i'm busy and i maybe someday like maybe this off season when football's over and it's like june and there's not a lot going on uh i'll make a halo 3 game review or something where i'm like or i'll i'll play the halo games and tell you what i think i think i'd be really fun uh probably put on my personal youtube channel zach shomler and uh do game capture and share some footage and do whatever i can but i I don't know. I, Halo is a game series that I like. I love Titanfall, for example. Titanfall Two is amazing. If you haven't played the, I, I, I look at them similarly. Like they're great franchises. The lore is really, really cool. I love. I love the story of Halo. Uh, I, I understand why you would think I love Halo, but I've only played Halo One and Two. So, uh, I'd love to play the other ones someday. Brothers tough, and I just, I don't have a lot of time to play a lot of video games. Uh, Henry writes in with a final question today. Another a final one about games. Henry writes and says, any favorite video games um i gotta say first of all throughout the nfl season i pretty much don't play video games at all i'm very football just constantly is what's happening in my life and i'm always watching and always doing whatever the one game i've played during uh this nfl season is borderlands 2 actually i own borderlands 2 like the 360 copy uh you know backwards compatible digitally uh and i play it on my xbox one and I, it's fun because it's this game. I don't care about the story. I just want to shoot stuff. And so I can play mindlessly with – there's something about a truly mindless experience where you can turn your brain off and just shoot at stuff and uh, run around and explore. And you can just kind of zone out. And it's just dumb enough and fun enough I can have a good time. And I, I so very rarely shut down and slow down for a minute. So playing Borderlands through this – I guess this season in the NFL has been my – rare break where I'm not following a story. I'm not trying to be competitive. I'm just, I'm just having a good time shooting stuff. It's really fun. If you have, if you have never played Borderlands two, or if you ever liked it and thought about playing it, go back. It's still a good game. It's still fun. Uh, frame rates aren't amazing on Xbox one, but I, I'm not a snob. I, I know the frame rate isn't great, but I, I don't care. I can't tell. I've, I'm not a, I don't know anything about technology really when it comes to that. Like, like that's not true. I, I edit stuff and I do a lot of video and I used to work for, Networks, but I, when it comes to like fidelity and frame rate and graphics, I just don't care very much. I just want to play. I want. I want to have fun, and if it's fun, it works for me. So, uh, now my favorite games of all time. Uh, I'm going to tell you my favorite game in a moment. But first, I want to share a couple games that I love. Like my uh, one, two, four games that are like my my other favorite games of all time. I love Uncharted, uh, the PlayStation exclusive. Nathan Drake and Sully, and it's a third person action game from Naughty Dog. Naughty Dog's amazing. I like Naughty Dog all the way back to Jack and Daxter. Um, now, so I love Uncharted. I love Tomb Raider, the reboot series, the you know Rise of Tomb Raider, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider. I don't think there's any other postscript, uh, but the the reboot series is amazing. Um, I love Mass Effect. Oh my gosh, Mass Effect! The story is so fun. So, um, you know, Tomb Raider is fun. The bow and arrow combat, the sneaking around, the puzzles. I love that. Mass Effect. The story is amazing. I even. I think I even played the third game like on easy. I'm like, I don't care about the combat at all. I'm here for the story. I want to get through the story. And I play every single side quest and every little thing and try to, ah, it's so fun. And then I love Doom. Uh, 2016, I think, is when Doom came out. Uh, the newer Doom, the, you know, the reboot. Um, man, Doom is fun because it's no story. It's the guitar and the you're haphazardly running around and the shotgun is amazing and you're just... The combat and the the really the weapon wheel is so encouraging too. You look at the weapon, you're like, oh, I got all these weapons. It's just a great time. It's so well designed. The flow of that game is just oh, like running a train. It reminds me of zombies actually, uh, like Call of Duty, uh, modern what Black Ops One zombies, where you would train around 
Um, maybe Black Ops 2 is where Kenoder Toten is, but you just figure right around, and people are chasing you. Like, demons, I guess, from, from Doom are chasing you around, and, oh, man, it's a blast. Um, now, if you combine all the best pieces of Tomb Raider and Mass Effect and Doom and Uncharted, I think the game that you make is what is my favorite game of all time. My favorite game of all time is Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, it's got an amazing story that I, when I was playing Horizon Zero Dawn, I'm like, I was so gripped by how did this happen? You got robot dinosaurs and uh, you're finding these like uh, almost Bioshock-like audio logs where you're playing and you're listening and oh man, I just, I, I love the story. It was so good and so compelling and I was so drawn in and I had to, I mean, I, whenever I played Horizon, whenever it came out a couple years ago, I just raced through it. I was, in, I just enjoyed it so much. I loved the story. And then once the story was over, I, I platinumed it. It's the only game I've ever platinumed on a PlayStation where I literally did everything you possibly could. Uh, and I think probably that tells me it must have been an easier platinum. But it's also got the, some of the gameplay elements of a Tomb Raider game where you got a bow and arrow and you're adventuring and exploring. And um, I, I don't, I, I, there were some like light puzzle stuff, but, uh, and then also you have the, the action element of a game like Doom where it's this fast, frenetic, fun gameplay where you're fighting as these gigantic beasts. Uh, in Doom, it's, mon- it's demons. In uh, Horizon, it's these gigantic robot dinosaurs. But you're like, throwing out trip wires and you're literally tying them down the same way you do like Gilligan's Island and you are shooting off components with your bow and arrow and using different types of arrows for different types of dinosaurs and it's just like this this amazing blend of story and gameplay and adventure and oh my gosh I love Horizon Zero Dawn I it's my favorite game ever it probably it's like a I'm sure it's like Monster Hunter Light but it's also got elements of so many it takes from so many other games and then combines them all into this amazing melting pot of this wonderful game that I love. And so um, Horizon Zero Dawn is my favorite game of all time. Now, honorable mention goes to uh, Jack and Daxter, the Precursors Legacy. I told you I have a lot of history with Naughty Dog. Um, it's a childhood favorite of mine on PlayStation 2. I actually own it on PS3 and now PS4. And um, I know that game by heart. I could, I mean, I... I've replayed that game occasionally over the years, and I just blow right through it. I know it so well, and I, I love Jack and Daxter, the Precursors Legacy, um, the opening zone on the the coast, and then you have a zone you have to fly through this lava. Then you're in the woods, and then you have, um, man, you got the like there's this underwater like gigantic um, what do you fortress you gotta make your way through, and then um, the, the boss battles are fun. You got the snow level, you got the climbing level up in the the tree. I'm just. I'm rambling now, but oh my goodness! I uh, Jack and Daxter: The Precursors Legacy. It's on. Um, actually, it's on PS4, and it's a it's a platforming game. Let me be clear about it. It's a it's like a Mario knockoff, but it's um so so fun. It's so good, and I can't recommend that enough. So uh, I rambled now too long, but those are some of my favorite games of all time, and it's a, it's a sports podcast. So I'm gonna go and let you let you go. Enjoy your day. I love you guys so much. I really appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. But um, bum, bam, we are done.